Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Let me ask you a question. It's a serious question. Have you ever been ill before? How many of you have been sick? How many of you have been deathly sick? Well, one time I was so deathly ill, I was overseas and I was speaking and I was locked up shivering in a room, a high fever, and I thought I was going to die. Anybody ever been so sick you thought you were going to die? And then it got bad because the next day I thought I might not die. Have you ever been so sick that you think living would be worse than, than, than going on? I've, I've had the privilege of being with many people when they, when they passed. Many people, some of you here have called me at your bedside as you do our pastors and Pastor Chris and our other pastors here from all of our campuses. And, and, and we go with you in those moments and in our privilege to be there. But you know, most of the time in those moments, do you know what most of those people ask for? What do you think they ask for? What do they want? Okay. And if anyone here says weed, I'm throwing you out of the church. Okay. No. Do you know what they want? They want their family. They want a brother or a sister. Matter of fact, um, just about eight days ago, we did a funeral for my best friend of 44 years. I led Pastor Bubba McCann to the Lord when he was 19 years old. I was 20, and we built the kingdom of God in churches. We sent him 20 years ago to Jennings, planted him there, and in a city of 10,000, their church has over 1,200 people. More than 10% of the people go to that church, our Savior's church. And they planted Crowley, and they planted Eunice. And uh, Pastor Bubba went home to be with the Lord after fighting two stage four cancers for 11 years. And I can tell you, in the end of your life, and he did something that it was really powerful. He left a video for us to watch at his funeral, saying, if you're watching this video, it means I'm with Jesus. That was, was powerful. Because if you did receive a sentence from the doctor that said you had a certain amount of time to live, all you would want is your family and friends and loved ones, correct? So imagine that you were given a death sentence like that with a time frame. And all of a sudden, Jesus healed you. Jesus healed you. I was in the last service, a lady came walking out and she said, could I talk to you? And I said, sure. She said, okay, just, just, I need to wait a minute. I said, okay. So she waited till everyone left. And she said, a year and a half ago, I had a tumor. I couldn't walk. She said, they gave me a specific amount of time. I wasn't going, I wasn't supposed to make it. And she said, and the tumor shrank God miraculously removed it, no treatment whatsoever, and the doctors still don't have an explanation but Jesus. And she said this, I was so thankful when it happened and so grateful, but over time, I have drifted back to my old ways. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing that God could do something for you that you think that all of us would say, God, if you change my child or God, if you heal this person of cancer or God, I would do anything. I would always tell people about you. I think all of us would like to feel that way, that we would always be thankful. Today, we're going to get an insight of how this actually works and what happens to people that God does that kind of a miracle for. We find our story in Luke chapter 17. Listen to what it says. And Jesus traveled toward Jerusalem and passed through the border of the regions between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into one village, how many men? Ten men approached him, but they kept their distance for they were lepers. 
Now, let me just explain a little bit for you before I go on in the story. 700 years before this time, the children of Israel, and I'll give you a little two-minute lesson that will help you. How many of you know when I say the children of Israel who I'm talking about? How many of you aren't really sure? How many of you aren't answering because you don't want to look dumb in church? Thank you all very much. Okay, let me give you just a two-minute lesson. In Genesis chapter 12, God appears to a man named Abram. He later becomes Abraham. And he says, get up and go to a place that I'm going to show you. I'm going to bless you. And through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Abraham then goes on a journey to follow God, asking no directions. And ever since then, men have refused to stop and ask directions. So if your husband won't ask for directions when you travel, it's biblical. And, and so he finally gets to what we now know as modern day Israel except he has no children. And miraculously, when he's 99 years old, this was pre-blue pill. I'll let you figure that one out on your own. His wife gets pregnant in her late 80s and they have a child when he is 100. Okay? Does anyone know what Abraham's child was named? Say it loud. Everybody together. So it went from Abraham to Isaac. And Isaac then has a son. Come on. Who, who yelled out Jacob? How old are you? 12. Stand up. That's somebody who knows their Bible. Hey, and your pastor. Okay. Do you know what the name Jacob means? Deceiver. I just thought I'd share that with you after the offering. <laughs> so Abraham has a son. His name is Isaac has a son. His name is now Jacob. Jacob's a pretty strong. Jacob has an encounter with God and God says, your name is no longer Jacob. I'm going to change your name to Israel. And he had 12 sons. Now I had five I was preaching in Africa a number of years ago, and I stood up and said, hello, my name is Jacob Aranz. I'm from a pastor from Lafayette, Louisiana, and I have five sons. And all of the African women went, ooh. I kind of said, yes, right, me. <laughs> Can you imagine 12 sons? And those 12 sons, many of you know their names. Some of you are actually named after them. One of them had a coat of many colors that was given to him by his father, Jacob, or Israel, the same person. What was his name? Joseph. And there was Reuben. And there was Gad. And there was Neptali. I don't know where that came from. It was a bad day. Okay. But one of them was named Judah. J-U-D-A-H. Judah. And from Judah, we get a group of people called the Jews. And today, thousands of years later, they still live in Jerusalem, in Israel, in that land that God gave Abraham thousands of years ago. God commanded those 12 tribes not to marry outside. When Moses brought the 12 tribes of Israel out of Egypt, there was 2 million of them. And God commanded that they not marry outside. But 700 years before the time of Jesus, the Assyrians came and they attacked Samaria and they conquered part of the tribes of the children of Israel and they began to intermarry. And they began to marry people who worshiped different gods and false gods. And finally they turned away from God. And the intermarrying of those people were the Samarians. And the Jews who were descendants of Judah, which ultimately is the only tribe that stayed pure because from Judah would come who? Jesus. Jesus. As a matter of fact, you can look in the beginning of, I believe it's Mark, I mean Matthew, and it traces the lineage all the way back. Two of the Gospels trace the lineage of Jesus all the way back, one to Adam and Eve, and the other one all the way back to Abraham. You could see the whole lineage from one person to the other. So Judah is the only tribe that remained, and that's where the Jews are right now in Israel. Did that help you? 
Okay, so now the Samaritans, because they intermarried, they no longer look to Jerusalem as the place to worship God. Jesus is going to return one day, and he's going to land on a place called the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. That's going to be the second coming. So now, Jesus, who is Jewish and a Jewish leader, is having an encounter with an area, people, group of people from Samaria. One of these guys is a Samaritan. Now let's go back to the story. And they shouted to him, mighty Lord, wonderful master, won't you have mercy on us and heal us? And Jesus stopped to look at them. And he spoke these words, go be examined by the what? Jewish priest. Now, let me give you an interesting thing. Keep that scripture up there. Jewish priests were the doctors. They were the doctors. And if you were a leper, the way they knew that you had leprosy is you would get a white sore on you. And that white sore, it would be a white dot, then it would become a sore, and then it would begin spreading and infecting your whole body. Did you know your pastor was a leper expert? My grandmother had leprosy. I have an aunt and an uncle that had leprosy. When I was 12 years old, I was staying in my grandmother's house, and she said, we're going to Carville, Louisiana. It was the longest existing leper colony in the United States. If you've ever read the book, Fearful and Wonderful Made, it was written by a doctor from there. They just closed it about 10 years ago. It was the only leper colony in the United States. How many of you knew that? You go across the Sunshine Bridge and there was a big compound. And they said, Jacob, you can go with us and you can fish. They have ping pong tables and pool tables. And all you got to do is be tested for leprosy. I'm like, if you're a Mexican from the hood, that was like Mexican Disney World. I'm like, absolutely, I'll go. And so I went. The day came for me to get tested and they took my ear like this and they took a little razor blade and they nicked it and I went, ow, that hurt. And the lady said, be glad. I said, what do you mean? She said, most people who get this test don't even feel it. Because what leprosy does is, is, is that it, a sore comes or a cut and it begins to rot away the nerves and the skin and parts of your body literally rots off. I would play ping pong with people that had two fingers or part of their nose came off all because they didn't take their medication. To this day, there's no cure for leprosy. They have medication they can give you that stop the sores and, and help. But still, you know what they call it today? Anybody know? Hansen's disease. When you hear someone who has Hansen's disease, they actually have, they actually have leprosy. Now, lepers were required to stay 100 yards away, a football field away from anyone that was unclean. And the moment you got leprosy, you were immediately taken away from your family so that it wouldn't spread, and you were made to live with other lepers. So it was, number one, a death sentence for you physically, and number two, it was a death to all the relationships that you had, to all the relationships you had. And when Jesus stopped and he looked at them, he spoke these words, go be examined by the Jewish priest. And they set off and they were healed walking along the way. And one of them, a foreigner from Samaria, when he discovered that he was what? Completely healed. And it's interesting. Keep that up. They were healed on the way. They weren't healed that moment. They obeyed Jesus. And while they were obeying him, they got healed. You know what's wrong with a lot of us sometimes? is we want Jesus to do a miracle and then we'll obey him. Well, what he wants to do is he wants to get us to obey him and it's in the obeying him that the power of God is released in our life. I can't go back and apologize to them. They hate me. No, you go back and as you go along the way, I will prepare their heart. If you're waiting for them to move, God's waiting for you to obey. If you're living in an immoral relationship and you're not married, look at me. I have people tell me this all the time. You know all the reasons I hear where people can't get married? I don't have enough money. Let me help you. You'll never have enough money. You marry a beautiful woman, the more beautiful they are, the more expensive they are. Oh, rich man told me one time in 1983 or four, he looked at me, he goes, you know, pastor, he said, the richer they are, the, the more beautiful they are, the more expensive they are. And he looked over at his wife and said, and she gets more beautiful every day. 
And the same reason people don't have children. Oh, we can't afford to have children. Like people make a dollar a day, got 15 kids. But you can't afford to have children. So let me say this very carefully. If you're living with somebody and you're not married, repent and marry them. You're in sin. Well, pastor, I can't afford it. Look at me. We will marry you right after service today. Right after service. You're laughing. We do that all the time. You know where I just got back from? I was on a hunting trip with Pastor Bubba. It was our bucket list trip in North Dakota. We hunted together for three days and I'm laying in a blind next to this guy and I said, hey man, how long have you been married? He goes, I'm not married. I said, you're not married? He said, no. Girlfriend? He goes, well, I'm living with her. I said, well, is it that you don't want to honor God or you're afraid to give her your last name? I had a gun in my hand. I could say anything. <laughs> so he goes, no, no, no. We, we need to get married. Do, do you do weddings? Did people like that? I said, absolutely. You know where I was last week? I did their wedding on an Amish farm in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Listen carefully to me. If you obey God, the miracles will begin to happen. Don't wait for the miracle to happen until you obey God. The miracle is in the obedience. So while I'm here, if you're having sex with someone that you're not married to, repent. You're in sin. And the Bible says fornicators and adulterers, God himself will judge. If they, let me, let me quote one of my sisters. If they really said they love you, put a ring on it. I don't know what Christian it was that said that, but some, who said that? Beyonce, it must be Jesus then. And one of them, a foreigner from Samaria, when he discovered that he was completely healed, turned where? To, to go where? To find Jesus and shouting out joyous praises and glorifying God. And when he found Jesus, he now, he's not a hundred yards away now, he falls down at where? His feet. And he thanked him over and over saying, you are the Messiah. And this man was a they didn't talk to Jews. They wouldn't touch Jews. Jews wouldn't be close to them. So where are the other nine? Jesus asked. Well, weren't, weren't there 10 that I healed? They all, what's that next word? Refused. Refused. That means that you had an option, but you said no. They all refused to return to give thanks and give glory to God, all except you, a foreigner from Samaria. And then Jesus said to the man, laying now, where is he at? And not a hundred yards away, he's touching the feet of Jesus. Arise and go. It was your faith that brought you and he was wanting a healing. Jesus was wanting a relationship. Salvation. What, what do we learn from this story? One of the signs of the last days before Jesus comes is written in Romans 1, 21, and it says this. They knew God, but they did not give him the that belongs to him, nor do they thank him. Instead, their hearts become complete become complete nonsense and their empty minds are filled with darkness. Two signs of a culture in the last days is they dishonor. Today, everything is dishonored. Police, church, priests and pastors, teachers, anybody in authority. As a matter of fact, what people don't realize, and they're so foolish, they're so busy dishonoring everything, the only thing left is going to be standing as them, and they're going to be the only authority, and they'll be dishonored too. You reap what you sow, you reap more than you sow, and you reap later than you sow. You reap what you sow, you reap more than you sow, and you reap later than you sow. There is no honor 
Here's another sign. They're unthankful. They're unthankful. How many of you know some professional complainers? Like, like they're good. Like, like, okay. Look at me and listen carefully to your pastor. You live in the most prosperous nation in the history of mankind. 50% of the world slept on the ground last night and they weren't camping. 50% of the world is working today to get food for the day. For the day. I don't know if you've heard this latest challenge, but someone told Elon Musk that $3 billion or something like that could solve world hunger. And he's actually trying to find out, okay, if I have enough money to solve world hunger, then, then, then should I do it? About three years ago, I went over to one of the foreign countries that you support, where we support a thousand children with Compassion International. And they took us to different homes of families that we were helping. One area that I went to, the soil was very good for making brick. The soil had such great content, you had to add a little sand, but primarily just water, and you can make brick. So we went to one of these homes, and they had like six children. So I went there, and all the children were lined up, and they were lined up in front of this beautiful little bitty, small, small, not hut, but a brick little home. And I went, wow, this is, a, this is amazing. And they said, yes, the father's coming. And I looked over and over where the wall is over there, he was walking towards me. And all I could see was bricks behind him. They said, do you know what that man does? I said, no. They said, he wakes up at the crack of dawn, eats, and he goes and he takes water and he begins making bricks and he stacks them up and makes them all week long. And a truck comes and picks up all of these bricks. Do you know how much he gets paid? I said, no. He said, a dollar a day. A dollar a day. Like you're, you drive through Starbucks and get bitter coffee. And it was a week's salary for him. You fill up a, a truck with current gas prices. And it was a hundred days salary for him. That's half of the world. Half of the world. People, when I was growing up in the 70s, said America was going to get to a place where we were overpopulated. Have you ever flown in a plane over the United States of America? Right after that, a Bible teacher did the mathematical calculations, and this was in like 1989, and discovered that every person in the entire world could fit in the county of Jacksonville, Florida, and if you gave them just six feet each. Here was the next lie. We're going to run out of food. 40% of Americans are obese. They're paying people to put them on a diet. Come on, I know this is terrible preaching right before Thanksgiving. I know you're binding me, <laughs> smiting that fried turkey in the name of I got it. I got it. Why am I saying this? that if you are the wealthiest people and the wealthiest nation in the history of mankind and you're unthankful and ungrateful for where you are right now, what do you have to have to ultimately become thankful? <clears throat> I read a survey that in 2020 was done that the Americans are the most unhappy people on earth. The most unhappy people on earth. How can the most prosperous nation in the history of the world also be unhappy? Today, in this story, we see five gifts that gratitude brought to this one Samaritan man. Number one, gratitude or thankfulness moves you to do things others are unwilling to do. When they had a need, they were all screaming, Jesus, help me. How many of you know everybody prays when you're in a bind? Don't lie. How many of you ever been in a bar and prayed? How many ever been out at night at the bar and prayed the next day? You know, when, when I was, you know, I don't know if you know this, but Pastor Chris and I used to be with the saints. And every time I say that, he does that too. He goes, Pastor, you were the chaplain of the saints. I was still with the saints. Okay, the water boy was with the saints. 
The guy that stretched your hamstring was with the saints and I stretched their spirit. I was with the saints. And, and before the games, here's what those guys would do. They would come up and go, pastor, just pray for me. I need you to pray for me. Pastor, just bless me. Bless me before the game. And I would always say, no. They go, well, you're the pastor. This is your job. No, no. I'm going to pray for you after the game. I'm not worried about you acting like a fool in front of millions of people while they're watching you on TV. I'm worried about what you're going to do in the French Quarter when the game is over, when little uh, nasty Nikki is waiting outside looking for you. I want you to come and let me pray for you then. They're all, Pastor, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. No, you're wrong, and I'm trying to get you right. Thankfulness moves you to do things others are unwilling to do. Can I tell you something? If the only time you cry out to God is when you're in a crisis, God loves you enough to keep you in one. My friends watching in jail. I grew up in the hood. A lot of my people I grew up with and friends are in jail. If the only time God can get your attention is in jail... Paul wrote the New Testament there. Pick up a writing gift. Because God loves you and me, that he will keep us in whatever it is position to get us in a place where we would truly say that we need him. You don't have to shout at me when I'm preaching good. Here's number two. Thankfulness allows you to hear things unthankful people never hear from Jesus. The other ones were a hundred yards away. Heal us, Jesus. Go show yourself to the priest. Look at me. Look at me. But there was only one of them that got to touch the feet of Jesus. The feet that were going to be crucified. The feet that were going to bleed because a nail would be driven through them. Only one did. And he heard something. Look at me. Thankful people hear things from Jesus that unthankful people never, ever, ever, ever hear. Thankfulness always comes back. Thankfulness always comes back. You know, I'm I'm from Texas. How many of you know that? How many of you know most most Mexicans crossed over from Texas? (laughs) Kind of still doing it. Uh, but, but I'm, I'm from Texas, and I left Texas a long time ago, and most of you know why. All my exes. <laughs> but there is a Texas term. Now, when you get ready to pray here at Thanksgiving meals, they'll look and go, uh, who's going to do the blessing? Okay, if you don't know what to pray, you just throw out an Our Father. That, you can always cover everything with an Our Father. Isn't that right? Yeah, Our Father is like the two drunks that, that found a meal and were thankful for it. And they go, well, what are you going to say? Who, which one of us is pray? And I'm like, I don't know. You pray. Go, no, you pray. Goes, okay. B23. He'd been outside of a church playing bingo. That was the only thing. Now watch this. But when God blesses you, when he blesses you, the ability to do what we used to say in Texas during dinner time. You know what you say in Texas? You gather around everybody, hold hands and goes, who's going to return thanks? Because what you do is you're returning back to God the gift that he has given to you. You know what? You know what resentment is? The word resent means to relive. It means you're reliving the pain. Do you know what gratitude is? It's reliving the blessing. It's reliving the blessing. He said, was there only one who didn't refuse to return? There's only one. Here is the third thing. Thankfulness gives glory to God. Not just the person that you're thinking. When I thank God, it makes him bigger. I magnify him. I magnify him. Can I tell you this? 
Something happens to me when I'm not thankful and not grateful that makes me like a leper. Let me, let me ask you a question. How, how many of you have ever done something for someone you love? Raise your hand. I'm about to give you a gift that's worth you. I should pass the offering after this and every one of you should write a check for $1,000. How many teenagers do we have here? You too. Just cut off a pinky and throw it up in there. I mean, you should, with what I'm about to share with you right now, it took me 40 years of being married and 38 years of being a parent to, do, to know what I'm going to tell you right now. That's how valuable this is. Your children will tell you when to stop blessing them. They will. The moment they stop being grateful, they start being resentful. And you know how I know? Because then I start becoming resentful too. The moment they stop thanking me is the moment I have done too much. I said to Michelle the other day, we were talking about one of the children. I said, we're done. She said, what do you mean? I said, they just let us know we're done. Because until they can be grateful for what they have, why in the world would God bless them with more? Back in the day when me and Pastor Chris were with the saints, I did all these chapels. So I'd do the chapels for the 49, whoever, Jets, whoever would come in, they would call me in. So I would get all of these autographed things. So I have autographed Jerry Rice jerseys, autographed Emmett Smith footballs, autographed Michael Jordan jerseys. If you go, if you go to, to my house, I got all these autographed footballs and all these different teams that I've ministered to down through the years. But what my children didn't know is growing up, I would get those things and I would put them up in the closet. And then I would be prepared to give them to them on special days. Except when they stopped being grateful, I just stopped giving. It wasn't that they weren't there. I just recognized that if I gave it to them from that point, I would not help them. I would hurt them. Look at me. How many times, how many things does God want to bless you and me with? How many things? But he can't because we're not grateful for what he's already given us. He can't. And parents, this is hard. How many parents ever had to say no to your kids when you wanted to say yes? Raise your hand. Is it hard? Oh, it's much harder than giving them something. Except it's worse for them. Someone told me a while back, very powerful. They said, you can raise your children and enjoy your grandchildren, or you can enjoy your children and raise your grandchildren. Oh, you can clap right there. Go ahead. The fourth thing is thankfulness keeps our faith alive. Thankfulness keeps our faith alive. The world, by virtue of its fallen nature, is negative. So negativity is constantly coming at me. So when I am thankful, I am magnifying what's real and not over-magnifying what's temporary. Thankfulness. Thankfulness keeps our faith alive. Can I ask you something? If you're not thankful for what God's given you now, why would he give you more? Why would he give you more? When you look and you're envious of somebody that has more than you, that's a test to see how you, your heart is when you, God blesses somebody else. Because if you can't handle that, then if he blessed you, you'd be arrogant and proud yourself. I'm preaching a lot better than y'all are responding, but it's Thanksgiving, so I'm going to cover y'all. Here's the final one. Thankfulness makes you whole. Luke 17, 19, the King James Version says, and Jesus said to him, arise and go your way. Thy faith has made thee whole, well. That's the new King James. The King James says, whole. Do you know why? Because broken people can't be thankful. They can't. They can't. Now I want to close I shared an amazing story with you to illustrate everything that we've talked about today. You see, a lot of people think 
that it's the happy that are thankful. And it's actually just the exact opposite. It's the thankful that are happy. It's the thankful that are happy. It's not the happy that are thankful because circumstances change. The word happy means happenstance. It means according to my current circumstances. Just like I do in most services here, shaking people's hands, greeting, hugging before service. I, I, was, I was doing that one day at the Broussard campus and a, and a couple that was new came walking out, a young couple. I said, hey, how you doing? I said, well, good. I said, well, I see that y'all are new. They said, yes. Well, we were on staff at a little church and they began to describe it and things became difficult and stressful in our family. So we stepped down for a moment and I'm a carpenter by trade. So I'm in construction. I said, well, that's great. Talked to his wife just a moment. I recognized that probably they needed a little deeper discussion and some ministry time. So I said, hey, why don't we go to dinner this week? So you paid for a real nice dinner for him. And at the dinner, I said, well, tell, tell me about your history. And so we were young, got married young, called to ministry, worked in a couple of little churches. Things became difficult, living in a little camper. And we, we just felt like we, we just had to move here. And uh, I said, well, so, so you're working? And she said, well, I'm working, he said, and she's working two jobs. I said, you're, you're, you're working two jobs? I said, yes. I said, well, tell me about that said, well, I do construction. And so when she gets the kids off, then she goes to work and then she comes back and she gets the children after school. And then when I get off work, I come and she works then a night shift from six to 10 at Old Navy. Thank you. That's what I did. I said, well, what do you mean? I mean, why? That doesn't even make sense. He said, well, we have a Down syndrome child. Our first child is Down syndrome. And, and the child is in Alexandria and it's institutionalized. And so we moved to Lafayette because it put us closer to the child. We can go see him on the weekend. And I said, yeah, but why the job? Well, that, that's, that, that's what I'm telling you. The child fell down a couple of months ago and busted out all of his front teeth. And, and to fix his front teeth is going to be over $3,000. I said, wow. So she's working that second job to pay for his teeth. Well, you know me, I started thinking of wonderful ways to spend your money. So I said, okay, file that back. There was a guy that always would come to the church and when he would leave service, he would say something like this. Hey, pastor, if there's ever anything I can do, just let me know. If there's anything I can do, let me know. I said, okay. And he'd ask me, Two or three times, I'm a pastor. Is anybody I can bless? I mean, I've been blessed. So I called him. I said, hey, you know, you always say, does anybody need a blessing? I said, yeah, I know somebody that does. And so I told him the story. He said, well, pastor, where are you right now? I said, well, I'm over by Kali Saloon and Ambassador Caffrey. He goes, I'll be there in 15 minutes. I said, okay, meet me at Meshes. I'm just staring at the donuts. I'm not eating them. 15 minutes later, he pulls up, and honestly, it's kind of weird. It's kind of like a drug deal. He gets out. He's got a big old wad of cash, and, and he jumps in my car, and he starts throwing. I go, man, that, I hope we don't get busted. So he, he shows him his wad of cash, and for those of you who know me well, I was driving my old 1999 Lexus Land Cruiser with a gajillion miles on it, and and. I said, well, just, just put it in here. And I opened it up like this and he stuffed all this cash in there and I closed it. And he said, well, thank you. I said, well, can I pray for you before you go? He said, yeah. So I prayed for him and he left. And I'm sitting there going, what am I going to do with all this? Suppose I get pulled over. Pastor gets pulled over with $3,000 cash and 20-year-old car. <laughs> so I called the guy and I said, hey, man, what are you doing? Where are you working today? He said, oh, I'm working over by Bruce. I said, can you come meet me? He said, now? I said, now. He said, where? I said, you know where Albertson? I mean, you know where Albertson's is? College Saloon? Ambassador Caffrey said, yeah. I said, you know where Meshes is? He goes, yeah. I said, meet me in the Meshes parking lot. <laughs> so I'm waiting 15 minutes, man. I'm looking. I've got the doors locked. Reached over and grabbed my gun. 
<laughs> and so I don't have a gun in my car. Just <laughs> so sure enough, he pulls up 15 minutes later. He pulls up, he gets out of the car. He jumps in my car and I begin to tell him the same story. Okay. That I told you, Hey, you told me, you know, last night about the thing going on, your wife working and really broke my heart. And, you know, I'm terrible about the things that y'all are going through. And I, so I shared it with the guy and, and he wanted to bless you. And I opened up the thing and there was all that money. And I handed it to him in his lap. And he went, ah, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. It was like, I was just watching. And then he wiped his face and he stopped. And I said, is there anything else you'd like to say? He goes, no. Now, how many of you have the gift of giving here? Raise your hand if you have the gift of giving. Okay. What do you think I was waiting for? Now, let me just stop a moment. Do you think I needed the thank you? You know what? Look at me. I didn't do what I did for his gratitude. I did it for my father's obedience and gratitude from him. I, I wanted to hear well done. That's my gratitude. Well, when I hear well done and thank you, I want it to be from him. But did he need to say it? Yes. So I said, was there anything you want to say? He goes, no. I said, nothing? He said, no. I said, well, can I pastor you a minute? And he said, well, yeah. And here's what I said. Look right here. I'm sorry for all the people that have disappointed you. I'm sorry for the people that let you down. I'm sorry for the people that you thought would help you, but they didn't. Because in order to be like you are, a lot of people must have disappointed you along the way. Because to say thank you would be the natural response. And I don't need it, but you need to say it. I don't need it, but you need to say it. And he looked at me and he said, thank you. You're right. You're right. Now, this isn't an advertisement for Mesh's Donuts. But on Saturday morning, this Saturday morning, my grandchildren were at my house. And you know, grandchildren, what they do. They come in, they destroy everything that you've worked for. <laughs> and so they're dragging all kinds, they're breaking golf carts and dragging mud into the house and breaking fishing poles. And I'm reminding myself, I have all them so they can break them, I think. And so they get up at 6.30 in the morning and interrupt my devotion time. I'm listening to elevation worship and I'm in the Holy of Holies. And they go, Pops, what are you doing? what all sane people are doing at 6.30 in the morning, sleeping or seeking God. Go, y'all want to go to Meshes? Yeah, let's go to Meshes. So we're all piled in the car. We're going to Meshes. So we get through Meshes and I reach into my wallet and I pulled out a Meshes gift card. Now, in full disclosure, the owner of Meshes is a good friend of mine, Willie Lim, and attends our church often. So I pulled out this card. And Eli, my grandson, whose oldest grandchild, goes, Pops, Mr. Willie gave you that card? I said, yeah. He said, so these donuts are free? I said, no, they're not. He said, what do you mean? I said, Eli, every time someone gives you something, it either costs money or it costs relationship and gratitude. Now stop one moment. How many of you have young children? Do you need them to do anything for you? You know what I hate about Father's Day? When they're young, they borrow $100 from me to go buy me something that costs $60 and pocket the 40.
It's like this Father's Day, I'm buying my own drawers. <laughs> I mean, all I get is drawers and socks. <laughs> Let me just, I got it. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. So watch this. Can they give me anything? But they can give me something. Now here's the revelation. Listen carefully. Does God need anything? Does God, who spoke the world into existence, who knows eight billion people by name, does he need us to give him anything? Well, according to this story, he does. According to this story, all he wants is what you want from your children when you do your best. And it's simply, thank you. I was a young Christian in the Mexican ghetto of Houston. I'd been giving my life to Christ about six months in a school where a thousand kids gave their life to Christ in a week, coming out of drugs. And my dad being married five times and my mom's, my sister's pregnant, 13, 14, just, just all that. And I'm walking down the street. This is back when you could walk to school and it was okay to walk to school, even in the hood. And I was walking about halfway to school and heard a voice and it said, do you love me enough to kneel down right here on the sidewalk in front of your friends and lift your hands and thank me for what I've done in your life? And you know what most of us say when we hear a voice like that? Get behind me, devil. You're not going to humiliate me. God knows my heart. Yeah, he does know your heart, but people don't. And I just dropped down right there on the sidewalk on McKinney Street and lifted up both of my hands and said, Father, I love you. Thank you for everything you've done. Thank you for changing me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for giving me a future and hope. I don't ever want to forget this ever. You see, Pastor, do you really believe that was God asking you to do that? It didn't matter. Can I praise him too much? Can I thank him too much? Can I brag on him too much? Then let me challenge you. Let's not make Thanksgiving a meal. Let's make it a lifestyle. Would you bow with me right now? Father, we thank you for the word of God and the power from the word. We thank you for your truth that transforms us but every time we hear it preached in an anointed, powerful fashion, it shapes our mind, it washes us, it renews us, it changes us. It calls us back to the very purpose for which we were created. Lord, I'm most satisfied when you're most glorified through me. All of us are. We're most satisfied when you're most glorified through us. All of us are. Today, I pray for many that have been broken and disappointed and hurt by people they should have been grateful to and grateful for. But they sowed a seed you can't trust anyone. Don't ever say thank you or that you're grateful or to be used against you. Father, we want Thanksgiving not to be a meal or a week, but a lifestyle. A lifestyle. A lifestyle. And now with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you the most important question of your life. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then he said, don't be surprised that I tell you, you must be born again. Have you been born again? My birthday is June the 17th, but my spiritual birthday is the week before Easter, 1971. When I pray with an African-American counselor in my junior high school, that day the old Jacob died and a new one was spiritually raised from the dead. My sins were forgiven. All the guilt and shame of my past was put under the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross. And from that day forward, I began my new spiritual journey. I was born again. I wasn't perfect but I was in process and continue to this day, 48 years later. Have you been born again? 
You say, Pastor, I've been christened. I've been baptized. I've joined the church. Isn't that good enough? That's a great start, but that's not what Jesus said. He said, you must be born again. You say, Pastor, how can I do that? It's as easy as ABC. A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus Christ became your sin bearer. Someone will die for your sin. Either you will or he did. And C, confess Christ as your Lord and Savior. As you turn away from sin through repentance to be born again. You can't have the power to turn away from sin until you're born again. So if you're here today and you've never been born again, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And by doing that, you're simply saying, Pastor, would you pray for me today? I need to be born again. I may have been christened, baptized, or even joined the church, but I've never once prayed to be born again. It only happens once, just like the day you were born. So if that's you on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. One, God brought you here. Two, nothing is ever an accident. Every circumstance of life has led to this moment. God has been drawing you. And now's your time. Three, if that's you, lift it high. I want to pray for you. Yes, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. You could put your hands down. Last 10 seconds. Pastor, I didn't raise my hand with these 11, but I should have. My heart's about to beat out of my chest. I know this is what I need. I didn't raise my hand, but I should have. I'm asking this last time for you. Raise it and wave it at me. I'm just going to pray for you right at your seat. That's all I'm going to do. Just wave it at me. Yes. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, now church, we're going to join you that have raised your hand. We're all going to pray out loud this prayer to be born again. We're going to pray it together today as we do each weekend with you as this becomes your new beginning. Let's pray out loud. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven a purpose on earth and a relationship with your father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my father. Jesus is my savior. And I'm born again in Jesus name. Amen.